Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Geekscapists. Happy uh, Labor Day weekend. I'm Jonathan London, your host, and this is a Geekscape special. Usually, if this is your first Geekscape, what I like to do is sit down with someone and talk movies, video games, comic books, TV, all that normal geek news and reviews stuff that you come to expect from pretty much every video on the internet. That's, well, PG. But we're not doing that today. Today, I'm going to sit down with my good friend, Nick Scown, not in person, here on the internet remotely and we're going to talk about his brand new movie that he co-directed it's a documentary called too soon comedy after 9 11 and it premieres this coming wednesday the 8th on vice tv so wherever you can get vice tv maybe that is your sling box your cable provider or the vice website um they got their own plat- platform this uh documentary is going to premiere there we're going to talk to nick a bit about it but he's no stranger to geekscape He's been on Geekscape many times in the many years that we've done Geekscape. So let's bring Nick on and let's talk to him about the brand new documentary. Nick, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you? Welcome back to Geekscape. <laughs> Thank you. I don't, I don't, it's been a while. I think the last time maybe we were wearing pirate costumes or... Uh, are you serious? I, I think it was, yeah, I think it was like, I, just, I remember Gilmore in a pirate costume. I don't know how, that was probably like... Listen. If Gilmore was on the show, it was probably a long time ago. Not, I mean, you know what? I take that back. We we did a, we had Gilmore on for the Blood Drive. We had Gilmore on for the Christmas special. Gilmore's been on twice in the last year. So, yeah. Uh, that being said, in person, if Gilmore was on the show in person, yes, yeah, it was we were all a long in person. Ago. So, so yeah. So it was a long time ago. If anything was in person, it was at least eighteen. <laughs> you know, yeah, eighteen months. Yeah, look, we're trying to get back there, man. We're trying to get back there with the in person. I have a director coming up in. October who wants to be on the show and he's like I'd love for it to be in person and I'll, uh, I don't know you want to come on Geekscape I'm going to, I'm going to check that Vax card I'm going to, yeah. <laughs> I'll be like can I excuse me can you show me proof of vaccination and uh, you can come we on Geekscape all, we, would, we would all like to be able to do everything in person soon but uh, we'll, we'll see if uh, the rest of society complies with us 
Yeah. So Nick, yes, you have been on the, you have not been on the show in a long time, but you've always been like, it, it, that's insane to me that you said that because we talk all the time. <laughs> Nick, you're like one of my closest friends. And, uh, I mean, we just went through a very harrowing, uh, NBA playoff series to, uh, season together. That was yeah. we saw you almost every game for that. We we yeah. happen to both be the fans of the same team, um, and we met in film festivals like 2004. I'm going to say 2004 was the year that you and I met in film festivals, and it, we've been pretty inseparable ever since. Yeah, you were you were the only other Utah Jazz fan in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. We had no choice but to become friends. Yeah, no, well, it's a lonely road for some of us here in Los Angeles if our basketball team of choice is the Utah Jazz. But you know what? I think we promised your publicist, Karen Oberman, who's a longtime Geekscape supporter, uh, not to talk about basketball until the very end. Um, We've got to save this for the the top. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the movie. Because, Nick, like I know you as a filmmaker, but most of the filmmaking that we talk about is your narrative work. You know, like you, you read my scripts, I read your scripts, I watch your shorts, like you, you watch my shorts. And like, as we make films together uh, and have over the last 15 years, uh, like we, I mean, you've been like one of my most trusted barometers. And I often, I have people who, as my, I, do you have these people in your life, Nick, who like, as your, your scripts start going and collecting like a little bit of heat or momentum, they hear about it and they're like, oh, I'd love to read it. Like you have those people who are like, oh yeah, I'd love to read it, just unsolicited, or like, oh yeah, send it, send it over, and and I just don't. I'm like, no, I well, I don't, I don't see the. No offense to those people, no offense to their critical eye, I don't see the point of sharing your film outside of the people who need to read it. I want them to watch the movie. I I want to keep that energy of having to make it, that urgency of having to make it without diluting it with sharing the story a million times over prior to, to the creation. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I think what I try to do is I try to use, use specific people for specific times. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're a chef and you're trying out a new recipe or trying to create a new dish, you can just taste it yourself and be like, Oh, I think this tastes great, but you still need to share the dish with people to be like, is this any, is this any good? You know, like, is, mm-hmm. is this recipe working? And so I think the, the key is to, I don't send a rough draft to everyone. Like I have a writer's group that I'm sending the rough draft and probably the first draft and the second draft to. And then I'm like, okay, we all agree. This is pretty good. Now I'm going to send it to maybe four or five people whose other screenwriters or execs or, um, or I'll, I'll do like a reading sometimes. So I get like six mm-hmm. or seven people back back in the old days where we could have people in the room, same room together. Get we six can do or a reading people. on Geekscape just like this. Look, we can just. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then, <laughs> so Geekscape get... is like it, an excound dramatic reading of his script. We'll just yeah. put, it over, put it out over the podcast feed. You can find out if a bunch of people like it or not. Yeah. Um, and then, because and I think it all, it's also good to get actors' opinions on stuff because they, they will have notes that writers won't. They'll be like, why? I don't understand why my character is doing this or what, what's their backstory. And so I try to get a, uh, a little wide breadth of, and I'll get some non-industry people. I have friends who are just like, you know, literally like rocket scientists. So they're really smart. They love movies. And I just want to be like, 
a non-professional smart person opinion of this doesn't work. The more people you list, the less special I feel. Just keep going. Well, no, I, I mean, that's, but that's kind of, and then it, and then it's just, then after that, once everyone, I feel like, okay, I've, I've gotten a nice uh, uh, spectrum of opinions on this and I know what its weaknesses are. I've tried to address them and now it's ready to send to the manager or to producers or to, or to the actors who I actually want to shoot this with. Um, and then everyone else's kind of like you're saying, everyone else's opinion after that, I'm, I'm just saving for the movie or save them for a rough cut. If I have a director friend, I, maybe I'm not going to send them the script, but I'm going to send them a rough cut so I can get fresh eyes on the story. Nick, so what I'm trying to tell you is that you're like one of four people who read my stories before any table read before anything. And I kind of want to thank you for like sparing me from some of the rough drafts and early drafts. But at the same time, I want to admit that I've abused our relationship because you absolutely have not been spared from my rough drafts in early drafts. You read every painful clunk, what the F edit and piece of dialogue in action. That makes no sense. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. And I, I don't mind for genuine actual friends like you. I don't mind doing that. For other people, it could be like, yeah, are you sure you want to send this to me now? <laughs> <laughs> are you, do you want to send me, you to send me a rough you cut? Keep it in the, keep it in the oven a little more. Look, just yeah. keep it in the oven a little longer. What I like about you know that group, and there's literally like four or five people in that group, is that they don't they're, – they're, I think they're all talented filmmakers like yourself, and they don't they, – they know how to get there. That's yeah. why when this movie came about, too soon comedy after 9-11 i was like say what um because you'd already progressed kind of down the road independently in putting the movie together you had started to go out for things like grants or show the pieces of the film for like independent financing it was a crazy road in making this documentary independently and i want to talk to you about it because again like i said we you and i usually just talk about our narrative fiction projects here you are with a nonfiction documentary and it feels to me like you're down the road a bit. All right. Uh, I know you're co-directed the film, um, but what was the impetus for this one? Who started this? Um, so, uh, so this was kind of an idea that I've had for maybe 10 years uh, just of um, examining the idea of like tragedy plus time equals comedy and, and sort of nine 11 in my lifetime of, of really kind of being the crystallization of that where, uh, I mean, we forget like comedy clubs closed, uh, you know, um, late night talk shows went off the air. There was like no regular TV programming was on. It was all, it was just news 24 hours a day, every day for like a week. And people, and there were articles like of just like, oh yeah, no, irony is dead. <laughs> like we're not going to laugh again. Like uh, it, it didn't seem crazy at the time. And so, um, I was always interested in how comedians and entertainers like rose to the challenge of like, okay, how are we going to process this tragedy? Because not talking about it. Like avoidance is a terrible cope, like coping mechanism, uh, and so uh, 
you know, we have to discuss this, but how do we discuss this? And what what are appropriate targets to talk about or not talk about? And so I was I was fascinated with with that idea. Um, like for me personally, like the Onion 9-11 issue was a huge thing um, where that was the first time that I laughed in weeks, you know, of, of, of depression, like, it, and it broke Can the you spell. remember that distinctly, like, uh, of, oh, yeah. from when it happened? Because I remember, I, I mean, even when I watched it in your film, there's a segment on how The Onion was a lot of people's first breath of fresh air when they had a 9-11 issue, really quick turnaround on the 9-11 issue. And a lot of people were like, well, we guess it's okay to laugh at it. And they kind of set the guidelines for a lot of comedians like, hey, these are kind of the parameters you're okay operating in and you're going to get some flack. They did get some flack for it. The majority of people were like, thank you for reminding us that we can laugh. And like you said, I, I don't remember it when it happened, but yeah. in the documentary, I started, as I'm watching your film, I'm going, oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, I remember that was a thing. Oh my goodness. I remember. I, maybe it's because we've had so much intense trauma over the last five years. <laughs> that yeah, yeah. You're like, oh yeah, remember that earlier trauma that we're on the 20th anniversary of? Yeah. Oh, no, it, uh, right. It, it was, yeah, no, it, it was uh, something that, that stuck with me. And so when I, I first kind of discussed the idea with my co-director, Julie, who's um, Julie Siba, who's a comedy journalist. I said, like, she's like, well, why do you want to do this? And I kind of explained that story. Uh, I had gone to to New York um, at the end of September of 2001 to look at film schools and, and did not, <laughs> ended up not going to any of the film schools, just like being in the city and trying to help my friends who were struggling at the time. You didn't even in New visit York. them. Yeah, I, it was just like, it just seemed like, oh, this is, this is, at that moment, it's like, it feels really stupid to take a tour of a film school. <laughs> right mm-hmm. now after what just happened um but the but coming home and, and laughing about the onion thing and she was like oh that for her that was the same thing too and she had he- kept the hard copy of that onion issue um and she was a journalist so she was moving around from different papers but she always kept that hard copy because it was that important to her so that was kind of the bond like five years ago when i first talked to the idea with her with her um and so we had, neither of us had ever made a feature documentary. You know, my background is mostly, like you said, in in narrative TV and web series and movies. Um, and so it was kind of a, a decision we had to make of like, okay, do we try to pitch this idea? I mean, I hadn't done anything with the idea for 10 years because I assumed, I was like, well, someone else is going to do this. Like, mm-hmm. someone's going to make this movie. There's no reason that I should. I, I'm not the person who, who should tackle this subject. Um but no one did. And so I was like, all right, well, if no one else is going to do it, it might as well be us. And uh, when I was in uh, at the University of Utah, we had, um, you know, have like guest speakers come. And one year we had Werner Herzog come to like speak to our, <laughs> to the school and then to like our directing class, which was only like, you know, 10 or 12 uh, kids. And what was that and, like? I mean, oh, it was fucking, um, it was the best <laughs> lecture. Like if you... I, I mean, I can't speak for the other kids in class, but like after his talk, if you didn't want to make a movie after what he, like what he talked about, then like, then you're not cut out for the film industry. Like he was like, here's what, here's what I did. He's like, no one would give me a camera. I couldn't afford a camera. So I broke into the film school that I knew about, stole their camera, shot it, 
put the camera back like he like he would do whatever that's hardcore that's amazing yeah and he was talking about how uh i think with fitz Caraldo, he like he had run the numbers for the budget and he was like we don't have enough money like and but he's like but i i know i gotta if i can feed the cast and crew they'll keep working and when we finish the movie, then I'll have, I'll be able to sell it and have the money to pay them for their work. But, it, okay. but I got to be able to feed them. So he's like, but I, but if I do that, I can't afford to feed myself. So I'm going to buy a ba- a giant bag of rice and I'm going to have one cup of rice a day on this shoot. And so he said, if you see photos of him, that's why he is so thin. Cause he's only eating a cup of rice a day. Cause that's the only way he could afford to make the movie. And, Holy and, crap. Yeah, and, and so you're, you're, so like he's just he's telling these stories and just like the whole thing is just like yeah, don't let anyone stop you from making your your film. Um, and one of the one of the big lessons I took is he he said, uh, "No one wants to help you start something. They they will help you finish something, or they'll help you do something in progress. But if you say I'm thinking about making a movie." No one cares. If you say, I am making a movie, we are shooting right now. I am, we're doing it. It's going to happen with or without you. Do you want in? Suddenly people are like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh I want to get in on this. If this is yeah. going to be a real thing. Uh, so I kind of, I told that story to Julie and I was like, so we could spend a year trying to pitch this or and do all the stuff, or we could just start shooting it. Um, and so that way we're, we are not saying we are thinking about making a movie. We're saying we are making a documentary. So, so that was kind of what we did. And so in the beginning, it was just the two of us. Uh, I was borrowing camera equipment from my, my roommate at the time, Brian Cavallaro. I know Brian, uh, but Milton yeah. who shoots your regular stuff. Didn't shoot your early. He didn't give you a solid and help you out. Cause I know Milton who's your regular narrative DP. Yeah. I loved him. Milton. Um, he didn't, be like, hey, I'll come do camera on you on your dock early on to like do a solid, or did you just not feel like like bothering him with it? Well, well, it was two things. A lot of it was a lot of these interviews would be very last minute. It would be okay. Julie texting me at work like, hey, Jeff Ross is a he's going to be in the green room at the comedy store tonight. Do you want to go? And I grab the gear and run off. Or we had to fly to just for laughs for the, to the comedy festival. Or we had to fly to New York and we, I mean, everything was out of our own pockets. So like we couldn't afford to fly anyone out. Um, and so, yeah, so it was just borrowed camera gear and it was just, you know, me running the camera and <laughs> listening to audio as we're, we're taping and using That's whatever natural light we can have. One camera. Yeah, because you have two camera setups on some of these interviews, and I—I I, I mean, if you watch the movie, you can kind of deduce in watching it that those are the ones that came later. Yes, is that yeah. cor- am I correct so, in thinking? So, yeah. so early on, you're doing those one camera interviews, which still look nice. And let me tell you, if you watch the documentary, you're not going to be able to tell unless you're looking for two setups. You're not going to be able to tell really what Nick shot and what Nick didn't shoot, which I think is like huge props to you, dude. It looks great. Oh, thank you. Because I, I mean, I, in I was fact, right, say, like, if, if if you're watching it and you're like, this doesn't look as good as the well, the producer's thing, then ju- just know it's be- I shot it. It's not the. It's not the. That other. being said, dude, I mean, I, I, like Milton ended up shooting later on, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Milton's awesome, but like at the same time, Nick, like you didn't do bad. 
Thank you. I had assumed Milton shot everything just based on like I like I watched the movie and I was like, this all looks great. All the all the stuff that I know wasn't stock, didn't come from Pond Five, or wasn't this and that. Like and it's it's risky doing those Pond Five like like cuts. Pond five the is a is a resource for stock shots. It's risky, buddy, because I just looked at all those audience shots for the project I do with Howie Mandel. I know those audience laughter shots, buddy. I just went through a ton of them. So it, be careful. It is it uh it is Pond, very Pond challenged. five has like Pond five has like ten audience crowd shot laughter pieces. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I, I mean, I had to look when you when I started making this again. I come from a narrative background. Like, I did not understand like how does one sift through stock footage, and so that there are those Pond five shots, and then I also had to be like, oh, okay, there's from Reuters or AP like. They did a news report from that era about a comedy performance. Yeah, I'm gonna watch this whole thing to find the the one cutaway shot of the audience that they used, and I'm gonna Dude, sneak that in. Absolutely, I was like, I was cutting through comedy specials not to find any of the comedy, but to be like, hey, can I get an audience shot and hopefully the, co- the comedian's not stepping on it, so that I could just have like a nice, sincere laugh that I can cut to and maybe drag some of the audio through the rest of the clip. <laughs> like a, a good J cut because um, like I said, like pond five has like 15 of them. And I, and, I, and when, it, when it came up in your film, I was like, I was just looking at that clip two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, one of the challenges of documentary filmmaking is one, f- the stock footage. And then also like library music, like, my my co-director was like, I was just watching an episode of like a cooking show, and I I heard that I heard that song, I recognized the song in the background. Is the chefs uh, won the prize? You know, and, and, and if you're listening to this and you you're so I mean, and you don't make documentaries, you like you take that stuff for granted. That you're like, oh, I watched a documentary. I had some really good shots, and it has a good footage. Like it told a great story, interesting story. And this movie absolutely does. I love this film, Nick. You and Julie did a great movie. It's I love it, but. Um, but when you're editing these things, you're listening to that music and you're watching those shots so many times, you see them in your sleep. <laughs> like you hear it in your sleep. And Geekscape is the only frame of reference I have for you is if you played video games endlessly. And I know there have been periods of my life, the original Pokemon Red, where I played that game so much. When I put it away at night, I had to keep checking like OCD style that the Game Boy was off because I was still hearing the music in my head. I don't know if you've ever been obsessed with a piece of media that much where you're like, it's it's off, right? Because I'm still hearing it. Yeah. And when you edit, you definitely have that barometer. As I as I talk to people about the film, if, if a journalist or somebody has a question, I can quote almost every sound bite in the film from every person because I have heard it. Ten thousand times, and so and so, I, it. it Nick, uh, you did all the editing on this thing. I did the majority, so I I cut. Uh, so basically, the process that we ended up doing was um, for uh, about four years. Julie and I shot all these interviews ourselves, collected all the footage, so that we could start cutting a rough cut together of the story and segments like the onion section, and then we did a section on. Uh, like the Arab comics who formed mm-hmm. the Access of Evil uh, comedy tour to kind of show us like a proof of concept of like, this is this is the style of the documentary. This is the story we're doing. This is how we're treating the subjects. 
Um, and uh, once we had all that, we kind of reached a point where, okay, we don't have anyone in our own personal Rolodexes, but we still have these holes story-wise that we need to fill. How are we going to mm-hmm. get them? So we, we then cut like a sizzle reel and a trailer and made a pitch deck to go to production companies that we thought would be a good fit. And uh, we met this uh, uh, through a friend of a friend. There was uh, this guy, Dan uh, Baglio, who had worked on the history of comedy. And so we're like, okay, this is this is someone who's going to get what we're trying to do. Um, so got the materials to him. He liked it. He went to uh, Sean Hayes and his production company, Hazy Mills, who had also worked on the history of comedy. They were in, and then we pitched it to networks, uh, sold it uh, to Vice because I think in part because, again, we weren't starting from scratch. We were like, we have a ninety-minute rough cut of yeah. this movie. This train's this leaving pitch. the station. Like this yeah, movie. Yeah, here's the here this pitch, pitch de- Yeah, this pitch deck isn't what the movie is. It's what or you know what the movie will be. It's what the movie is. This is the story in it. These are the people we need to shoot, uh, and so our pitch with them which was kind of how we knew it was going to be a good fit was like everyone else in a pitch were pitching them the story and all this stuff. And, and they were just like, Oh no, no, we get the story. Like we've seen your materials. We know what it is. What do you need to finish this? Like mm-hmm. that was, it was like a production meeting as opposed to a pitch meeting. Um, and so uh, at that point, that's when we finally had the budget to like hire Milton and DPs in New York and London and uh, around the country to shoot uh the remaining interviews for us during the pandemic. Uh, so you're uh, remotely, you and Julia are remotely like on FaceTime or something or Zoom watching those interviews get shot with remote DPs asking questions. Yeah. So, so Julie, would, dude, that's crazy. <laughs> Julie would be interviewed. We'd have like an iPad or a laptop set up with Julie's face on it to interview them while I was watching. The, f- the video feed to direct the coverage uh, of the interviews um, remotely. Uh, That's insane. Like you're like a head in a jar. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, that was how we finished shooting. And then uh, how long did that go on? I mean, I don't know how long the pandemic has been lasting, but like, I kind of want to know, sorry, Geekscape is, is in the weeds or, or not. The, the movie is too soon comedy uh, after nine 11. It comes out this week on the 8th on Vice TV. Um, but we're going to be filmmaking talk. Okay. So be ready for that. Sorry. Filmmakers hosting a show has a filmmaker on the show. It's going to happen. So what percentage having completed the movie, what percentage is pre vice pre Sean Hayes and Todd Milliner, like on your own filming and what percentage of what I just watched is post that relationship helping to get it all yeah. across the finish line. I would say I think we shot around twenty-eight of the interviews ourselves, and I think we had, I want to say like a dozen or so of the interviews were with the with the false. Uh, you shot two thirds of this movie without any financial assistance, other yeah, than well, like Visa yeah, Mastercard. Visa Mastercard and Julie. Uh, <laughs> Julie won us. Julie won us a grant. Um, for a great program called uh, women, women making a scene uh, that got us $5,000, which was just enough to get our own editing system. So I was no longer. So, so before that I was, I was editing, I just had like a hard drive with the film on it. 
Okay. That as I worked at different editing jobs, I would just bring that drive with me. And when things were slow or on weekends or after my shift was done, I would cut the film using their equipment. And then. But so that's we, an avid system. You, you, you cut for some of these, you, you cut the film on avid. Yeah. But did you ever show up and they're like, Oh, we don't use avid. We're using this. Thankfully not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> you can imagine was, that happening and being like, Oh, I guess I got to figure out how to cut the movie around this. Okay. Yeah. Thank, thankfully it stayed avid through the, through the entire process. Um, okay. But yeah. So, so when we won that grant uh, for $5,000, that was when we could get our own system. And that's when we did the bulk of the editing of the, of the rough cut of the film and the, and the like trailer sizzle reel we yeah. would use to pitch it. I remember when you went down to San Diego for that screening and and to try and get that grant. And I remember when you got the grant, um, I think it was not long before that, that, you know, we'd be at a basketball game or something. And I'd be like, you know, we do filmmakers do that. Hey, what, what, you know, what's, what's up? What have you been up to? Um, I guess friends do that. <laughs> I just don't have a lot of them. Um, and you, you, and you would mention like, Oh, I'm working on this documentary. And this is like, I mean, I'm sorry. I started taking it for granted because, like, like one year you'd talk about the documentary, the next year you talk about the documentary, three years go by, you talk about the documentary, and then in freaking April when the playoffs started up, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I think we're gonna sell this documentary, or I think we sold it, or whatever the the, the timeline was on that. Yeah. And I was like, you finished? <laughs> I was like, wait, 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 wait a minute, what? I was like, you that. The pet project? <laughs> no disrespect. I saw yeah. the pet project. The pet project's awesome. Comes out this week on Vice TV. It's awesome. It's a really damn good documentary. Um, but you understand, like, I kept thinking about, like, hey, what if that one script you wrote? <laughs> no, I mean, it, it was. Uh, I mean, it was a. It was a balancing act that Julie and I both had to do. Of how do we keep momentum on this project going? Still pay the bills, pay for the film to shoot the film itself, pay for these trips. Um, uh, and then, you know, she has her own like journalism work she had to do. And, and I had scripts uh, that I needed to write and other projects to work on. So it was a, uh, it was, yeah. It, it, so it was, um, yeah, kind of a, the the passion project that when I didn't have something else to do, this would be the focus. It was basically just when did I have out any available hours I had? It was okay. Now I can work on this uh, documentary. Um, Nick, yeah, you told us about what got you into the movie that you'd witnessed this sort of like not censorship, maybe it's like self censorship, trying to feel out when it was appropriate after nine eleven. Nine eleven is a memory I won't forget. I lived in New York. It was a morning that in a week, in a month, in a year that I just like would never, I will never forget. And now we're almost on the 20th anniversary of it. And it feels like I blinked and now here we are. But I remember that morning so vividly. Um, when you have those ideas of what this documentary would be and for 10 years, you're carrying this idea around before even talking to Julie about it. And you're like, I really want to make this film. Now that you've made the movie, what were the, th- how did it mature? And what were the discoveries you made and the lessons you learned that you're surprised by? Yeah, it was funny. The The biggest, when we started, we thought, um, 
we were going to be like examining the equation of tragedy plus time equals comedy. We thought, okay, this is this is what this is going to be about is how tragedy happens, but as time goes by, we find a way to talk about it and discuss it in the uh, humorous and comedic forms in TV and on stage. And that's kind of what we thought it was going to be. But as we started interviewing people, a lot of the comics like yourself, they had, they were in New York. They saw it happen. They uh, There's a couple of people who were there, literally there running for their lives or mm-hmm. were first responders down there. Like uh, those people are in the film. And what we got when we started talking to them was that it wasn't just tragedy plus time equals comedy. It was that tragedy plus time plus comedy equals healing. That that comedy was part of the healing process for so many of those uh, performers and people because um, I think like Dean Obadala talks about, it became almost like a group therapy session when you'd go on stage. And for some comics, that would be like, okay, I'm going to not talk about this at all. I'm going to avoid this topic altogether. We're just going to make, here's my, here's my thoughts on bagels or, or, you know, uh, because, because they didn't, they didn't want to deal about it. And so they thought their audience didn't want to deal with it. And then there was people like Mark Marin who would, who would get in fights with club owners and say like, no, I have to talk about this. Like I, this is, this is all that's on my mind. I've got a lot of feelings about this and I think they do too. And we need, we need to talk about this. We need to get this out open in the air. Uh, and so what we saw or, or what, as we were making it and interviewing people was, oh yeah, this is, this is the real progression is that the comedy helps um, facilitate the processing of this trauma that uh, I think it's like some of the people say, like it helps like take away the power of it. That if, if there's this thing, you know, it's the way that when you're at a funeral, sometimes you're making jokes because Absolutely. that's, that's the only way you can, you can deal with, with what you're feeling. And it breaks the, the spell of the depression that you're in or, or, or what you're dealing with. And when you, uh, like we interviewed, uh, this woman who worked at the 9-11 Memorial, uh, which is in, in a bonus clip that hopefully we're going to get to, to have online. And she would say, you know, yeah, like obviously it was hard talking to the surviving family members of these attacks about the people they lost. But she said for a good chunk, an hour of the hour and a half, she would talk to them. A lot of it was the funny stories about them and the anecdotes and the, the funny things they would do at the fire station together, the pranks they would pull. And, and so that was, that was not what we expected going in. And, but that's kind of what we found is, is that, we need to discuss these things to to help uh, um, get through them. And comics uh, are just kind of a great, I don't know, filter or or uh, amplifier of they. I mean, comics in general, even if it's an observational comic like maybe Jerry Seinfeld, what he's doing is he's pointing out the things that we've thought about, but maybe never put words to. Sure. And, and, and so that's what a lot of com- comedians do. And so they, they put the, the anger we were feeling or the hate or the sadness or the sorrow, them putting words to the feelings we're thinking and somehow making us laugh about it is, is what is just a great like medicine 
in general. And so was that, a, that was the big discovery. In watching the documentary, I it felt like the comedians were giving each other permission to talk about this stuff. To, and they were all comparing notes. They were seeing what other people did, and they were slowly giving us prog- like permission to progress. And they giving they were giving each other permission to progress, sometimes violently, as you get with like the Gilbert Godfrey like roast of Hugh Hefner, where it's like, whoa, that guy went all in on. What do you mean too soon? I'm gonna like nuke the 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 joke and just go all the way. And then you see the barometer for like how we in those in the in the thousands just started turning politically and socially with comedy and you see the rise of the daily show with the post 9-11 politics giving so much fuel for them to burn in turning into what the daily show turned into and now there's a there are so many offshoot careers and versions of the daily show i thought that was really interesting and then seeing also things like i think the segment on janine garofalo in her treatment as a woman, in contrast to how male comics were treated, having the same level of criticisms towards the politics of the time, I was like, oh, dude, like, if that wasn't a shot across the bow for where we would be 10 years later, you know, and I know we're dealing with the treatment of women now, and politically the last five years has been like, what the F are we living through? But that Janine Garofalo segment to me was like, yeah, we can't look back on all this stuff and be like, Oh, Bush is painting now and giving people chocolates and like think that any of that was normal. Uh, and the comedians were the barometer for that. Yeah. You well, know? like, um, uh, yeah, I mean, there was definitely, there was a lot of people that we talked to who said that it, beca- that became an inflection point of change in their careers where like, um, Dino Badala was like, yeah, I was just before the attacks, I was just a guy making jokes about my mother-in-law. Uh, but now I got to make jokes about terrorism and uh, anti-Muslim backlash and people getting killed. And, uh, you know, I like I got to talk about this stuff now. I can't just make mother-in-law jokes um, or like like Janine or even like David Cross, was, you know, uh, who were like, oh, I, I have to speak out about mm-hmm. what's how the government is reacting to this attack and why we are invading these countries that didn't have anything to do with what happened. And and to see, like with the Janine thing, we, that was, uh, again, something we hadn't maybe going in thought we were going to uncover. Uh, but like, like you said, like Mark Marin pointed out in his interview with us, he was like, there was a lot of male comics doing what Janine was doing with of speaking out and uh, condemning <clears throat> the Bush administration's actions uh, and, and uh, the laws they were, the Patriot Act, like all these things. But why was it Janine who that they're singling out and that conservative radio talk show hosts are saying, go protest this person's oh, They're sending his shows. squads at her. They're like, go to yeah. her show or call her hotels and where she's touring and cancel her reservations, pretending to be her. Like it was a hit job. And, and you're watching this and you're like, Oh, the normalization of harassing women on a public stage and getting away with it. Yeah. Like there were no repercussions. Like Janine, like there were no repercussions to that stuff. And, um, you know, I you know, in watching 
the the documentary i thought about scott thompson obviously like scott's been on the show and when scott was on geekscape you know uh he said like bin laden successfully killed new york 9-11 like it killed the culture in new york and it and it and the only way to respond to what happened on 9-11 was to turn manhattan into disneyland right those to turn like Times Square into Disneyland. I think that was already in the process of happening under Giuliani, but um, Scott got hit though. Scott like got hit hard. And I thought about what, when I, when I was listening to Scott in your documentary, I was thinking about what Scott told me on the, on the podcast, like about how nine 11 killed New York. Nine, I mean, how much of that was like Scott talking about what nine 11 personally did to his career. Because wrong place at the wrong time, and he took, I mean, it wiped him. That was bad. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, yeah, no, I, I I didn't know about Scott's story until your podcast. And so I think after you recorded, you were like immediately texted me like, dude, you got to talk to Scott Thompson. Uh, you know that small like YouTube project you're working on, that little documentary, <laughs> that cute pet project. I'm kidding. By that point, you'd already been interviewing bigger comics and like this and that. Like by that point, I was taking it. You know, I knew this wasn't just like something you were doing for fun. I knew it was a film that you were gonna make and that was gonna be great, like all your other projects. And uh, yeah, I remember like as soon as I got done with Scott on Geekscape, you were the first person that I wrote to and said, "Hey, man." You still work on that movie because Scott is the guy you've got to get on camera. His and his his story of I mean, it, it, I didn't know where we were going to fit it in the story, but it ended up kind of being the beginning of the the documentary, which is again like here's this uh, entertainer, this comedian who uh, suffered has suffered from tragedy from te- from terrorist activity, who has been terrorized uh by extremists who attacked his home prior to because 9/11. Yeah. prior to 9-11 for 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 doing satire you know for doing comedy and his way of dealing with that was to take that fear and the frustration and all that and to to research and do this one man show and uh you know, and it's like, it's like, so you're already like, I'm in, like, I love Scott, and I love that this is how he is going to deal with trauma and process trauma, and to to do to go through that to build this one man show, uh, to get it to to come to New York to be to be to be in Manhattan on the on a stage and and for literally like, you know, I think it was like a week before it opens, these attacks happen, and now. Everyone in the world is like, well, I don't want to watch a one man show about terrorism now. Yeah. Like that's the last thing I want to watch. And uh I, I I there's a there's a you know, it definitely Scott says like it 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 affected him deeply. You know, it was a huge loss because he thought it was some of the best work he'd ever done, and now no one was gonna get to see it. Uh, because of ter- like his, his show about terrorism, now no one was going to see it because of another terrorist attack. Um, and so, and not just personally, professionally, like financially, he had invested yeah. so much of his own money in putting that show up in New York and the posters and the, and just the promo- like the publicity. And the posters went up September tenth. <laughs> yeah, that's that's brutal. Yeah, I mean, when we would 
<laughs> like it, we we put just a little piece of it uh, in the film, but yeah, like when we talked to Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, who were doing the producers at the time, and we were like, "Do you guys remember like how other shows got affected? Because Scott's show got affected, and a, and a ton of other shows that were on the stage at the time disappeared because because of the attacks." And they were like, "Jesus, you know, like talk about bad timing, and like what, like how do you even recover from that?" You know. Um, Most people didn't, did they? A lot of people didn't. I, I, a lot of people didn't, and I think I don't know. I have a hope. Uh, like, at, like as we we interviewed Scott, and then he provided us uh, like the footage. We some of the, the the footage we have of him performing the show, and uh, when we we finally sold it and uh, it was going to come out, he he like called us to ask like, okay, how, like how much of the footage did you use? And we're like. You know, not a lot. It was. It's mostly just you telling your story and the footage, uh, extent accentuating what you're saying. And he was like, "Oh, good, because like hopefully he might do something with that shit. Like he has the footage, and he might do something with it because he had. He said he like I he hadn't watched it since then. It's too painful. Like, yeah, it's too painful. But now, but then he like because being involved with the film, he 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 watched it again. It was like, oh, there's. This is still pretty good. There's some good stuff in here, and so, and so <laughs> hey, I, re- I really hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, so I really hope that Scott um, does like get some yeah. kind of version of it out because, uh, you know, it would be it would be a shame if that got lost forever. Um, so it just and I think it also uh, hopefully it would be helpful to him to just finally have it out. And have right. people watch it, and there's probably still going to be people who are going to get offended because there is some, you know, he's he is pushing the boundaries uh, in the show uh, because he's he's dealing with a delicate topic, you know. Um, but uh, I think it's it it would be something that I hope he he gets out in the world. So yeah, I, I mean, we are uh, we're trying to create new stuff, you know, and and that's hard. And sometimes you end up with like a a bunch of stuff that just ends up on hard drives. Um, like Geeks keeps putting out another short film coming up that was living on a hard drive for 15 years and Jonathan's just now finishing like we became friends around the time I filmed this movie and now it looks pretty great and Geeks keeps going to release it Um, Matt Kelly is working diligently at our YouTube channels and things like that and there's a lot of great stuff going up on those channels every week and uh, I told Matt I was like when you get through that stuff I'm going to send you my college radio shows and then you can start putting those out on the podcast. Now I'm kidding, Matt, that'll never happen. But, uh, oh, I say that, but then who knows? Maybe I'll be like, Oh, these, these clips are funny. These clips are funny. <laughs> these clips from when I, I was mean, like 19 or 20 and thought that I was, fu- that that was funny. Sometimes you find stuff in there is funny. Matt actually just wrote in and said, I can't wait to watch this doc. And it, honestly, Geekscapers, I think it's a documentary. Like it's not just about nine 11. It's not just about comedy. It's about, uh, I don't know. I mean, I will, I don't want to call it a snapshot in time either. Cause it's not, it's, it's, a, it's about, a pro, it's about progression and it's about yeah. these bigger concepts it, it's and about permission it, and about yeah. acceptance and all these things. It, I mean, it's, it's really, it is hopefully like, it's about, it's about the process of it. And it took, it takes a long time. It takes, a decade before before we can make a joke about X or Y or Z, or or that people will laugh at a joke about X or Y or Z, and there's stuff even today that some people are just going to be offended by and not laugh at. But we 
you kind of track to see the ripple of, you know, this is a the ripple effect of that giant rock uh, hitting hitting the pond of culture and, and just affecting society. And, and so we wanted to show how that rippled through everything, how it changed the world we live in and how comedy uh, reflected that change and had to change and evolve itself to fit the new world that we were living in. Um, but I, it's funny, like <laughs> talking about like giving, making Matt put up these old shows. I mean, thankfully, uh, Mark Marin had kept all his old Air America uh, radio shows. So, yeah, there, so there's like, stuff. Yeah. yeah, so we, we have, again, there's a, hopefully a bonus clip that, that everyone's going to get to see eventually, but we, we have his, one of his old sketches and skits from, you know, 18 years ago, forever, you know, however long. And it was like, oh, thank God he archived this and, and, and saved it. So whoever, you never know what, uh, what will become important down the line. So it's not bad to have an archive, even though I don't want to wish more work for Matt. No. And, um, and I like that you kept the focus of the documentary on strictly comedians and performers on stage it didn't go too. it did it just was like if you were doing live comedy whether it was broadway whether it was comedy in a cellar or whether it was Saturday Night live you kept it strictly to that you didn't have to start going too much into like filmmakers or like you didn't ask any of the new york knicks if they were like cool playing basketball after 9-11 like it was strictly about comedy i think it kept it focused and the movie is really really good dick congratulations man um thank you yeah i mean it it was uh it was something we we did put thought into because because maybe maybe julie can help with the other projects that haven't gotten fun like finished (laughs) maybe that's maybe maybe? i don't think she's i mean is she the x factor that gets you you know this kind of thing like what do you think have you thought about that yeah maybe we can add julie Julie to like if we add her to your other scripts that aren't you know that are sitting on your hard drive I don't think Julie likes uh, the industry side of things. Like she likes the journalist. She likes the journalism side of, of documentary filmmaking and the other aspects of filmmaking, like getting into the weeds of post-production or cameras. Like she, uh, you know, don't count her out. She's not a fan. Hey, Julie, if you listen to this uh, episode, I, I just saying like, Nick's got a couple stories on his hard drive. I'd like for you to take a look, give him some notes and uh, a, she is she is a great editor. Like if you need okay. grammar and punctuation checked on a script, she she don't, is your she's your listen. Lady. Don't limit her talents to just that, Nick. I know you feel threatened. I know you're worried that she may be the X factor that got this one some some success. Oh, no, no, don't she, you this, minimize no, no, she, what she does to just like punctuation checks. No, this this literally would not. I mean, it wouldn't have gotten made without her. I, like I I, she she likes to. She likes to give me credit for having the idea, but like honestly, the idea would be nothing if if I didn't have her to actually make it a reality. Like a, the idea would have, like a great idea is worthless if it's not p- properly executed. So like without and without her, this would not exist and it would not have been executed. So uh, yeah, so all props to Julie. Nick, you know I'm just giving you a hard time, buddy. I know. I love you very much, man. I I think we got to wrap this up because we we're focused now and I want the audience to know about the movie and how it comes out this week, September 8th on Wednesday. You can watch it on vice TV and I'm sure you don't got to watch it live because everything is 
you know, maybe if it's on your cable network on the Vice channel or on your Sling Vice channel, I don't know how those things work. But I'm pretty sure if you go to like the Vice website, you can find information on how to stream it, how to watch it, where to watch it. It's got its theatrical premiere at Dance of the Films next Saturday, the 11th. Um, I will not be in town, Nick, because uh, I already had plans. But you know I would be right there, buddy, and I'll be there with you in spirit, man. Um, I mean, if if you are, yeah, I mean, if you are somebody who uh, is in LA and is comfortable going into a theater, which obviously not everybody is, uh, then yeah, I definitely come out. I, there was a, a critic who was like, oh God, I really wish I could see this in a theater so that we could like all be laughing together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so. Yeah, the, uh, the movie runs the, runs the whole range. It's got really funny parts in it, but it also has some really, really um, profound pieces where I was like, oh, right, that's where we were. And let's see where, and, and, it, and, it, and I think it resonates with where we're at, which was what, 20 years later, it resonates with where we're at, what we've just been through. And I think that's really important. And it's a good reminder to be like, hey, we're strong and we're resilient and we need to give ourselves permission sometimes. Um, congrats on making the movie. Um, Thank you. I, I can't wait to hear how the response is, man. Thanks for coming on Geekscape. Thanks for being my friend. Yeah. Thanks for being thanks my for, friend and all that. And thank, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, next project, another documentary. Um, th- yeah, there's been some potential things. We'll see. Some people have approached us, uh, about doing something similar with other t- topics. Um, uh, and then I think Julie, I can't say what she's working on, but she, she might be working on, uh, another documentary, uh, that I might help her out on that, uh, about a specific comedian and something he's dealing with that, uh, I think would be really cool. So there's definitely some more documentary stuff. And then, um also gonna hopefully get some more of these narrative script stuff going i there's there's a one script in particular that that uh people really like and so now working on pushing pushing that boulder up the hill now that now that this one's on the other side i can start focusing on that well my fellow friend in this battle um if you need help we're here i'm here loved having you on the show and uh, I'm not scared to go into a theater. Maybe it's a level of naivety, but Geekscape, we got tons of stuff coming up. And on the through line that I was going to put together of going to the theater, went to see Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi on uh, last night. And we got a Geekscape. If you subscribe, we've got a Geekscape special where Ian Kerner and I are going to break it down for y'all coming up next week as well. So subscribe, tell your friends about Geekscape. We got interviews like this. We got some fun panel discussions like we had last week on the show. We got all sorts of comic book and video game and movie and TV creators on the show constantly. Um, and next week we have our deep dive into the whole Shang-Chi and the legend of the 10 rings or the new Marvel thing. Y'all get it. If there's a new Marvel thing, you know, yeah. Ian and I are going to break it down if there's a new Marvel DC thing. So you can get that by subscribing and uh, checking us out on all the socials. We got 15 shows across the network or so. It's, I it's, lose count. To, Matt to think of what, of, yeah, of what of what this started of just you uh, and now to, to what it's grown and the community you built of uh, Geekscapus, it's uh, pretty incredible. So yeah. kudos. Thank you, man. Well, we like to fester. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Help us fester by sharing we this. We are with your legion. Friend. We are. Just... Do you know that I met Todd Milliner in Jury Duty? 
No. Yeah, Sean's partner. I mean, I haven't talked to Todd in years, but we met in jury duty. I'm going to send him this episode and be like, hey, Todd, I had your investment Nick Scout on the show and tried to help help y'all out a little bit because y'all needed my help. And uh, <laughs> they don't need my help. But Todd is a great dude. And uh, I love meeting him. And I'm always here for support, especially yeah, for you, he man. Was, he was great. And, and uh, you can tell Todd, too, because without without him and Sean, their idea was to have the producers and the Broadway section, which has helped bring in Scott Thompson's story too. So without their con- like contribution, we wouldn't have the film that we have. So it's, uh, they deserve, they deserve the credit. So, so give them a shout out. Yeah, definitely. Love you, buddy. I'll, uh, I'll see you Sunday or something or like Saturday or next week or something. Right. We, yeah. we got, we got like five weeks till basketball season. So I'll see you soon. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, man. <laughs> All right. Bye geeks. Keep us. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.